Take your Bible, please, and meet me in Matthew chapter 13. As we prepare to hear from God today, I want to begin with a story. Four stories, actually. Four short stories about four different people that describe four different kinds of people. Of course, I've changed the names of the individuals involved and some of the peripheral details as well, but I assure you the gist of these stories is quite factual. The first story is about a man named Terry. Terry and I were neighbors. Uh, We met one Sunday as I was coming home from church, and as I pulled into the driveway, Terry was unloading a U-Haul parked in front of his house across the street. He was moving in. So I went and I changed my clothes and came out to help him, and we spent the next uh, couple hours moving furniture and getting to know one another. In many respects, Terry was a, a, a very nice guy. But in other ways, he wasn't nice at all. Uh, I came to learn that Terry was a drug dealer and that he also pushed uh, other uh, illegal activities. And I, occasionally I shared my concerns with Terry, uh, my concerns for his behavior and its effect on the neighborhood, uh, my concern for my family as well as my concern for Terry himself. Uh, I I wanted him to know that he didn't have to go down that path, that there was another path available to him, uh, a better one. Sometimes I would talk about Jesus and how God, uh, in his great love, gave us Jesus to rescue us from our moral corruption Uh, so that we can enjoy life with God as originally intended. Uh, Terry would listen politely, but I could tell that nothing of what I was saying was really sinking in. You've been in those situations. The next story is is about a girl I'll call Janelle. Janelle was shy growing up, introverted, slow to make friends, She attended church and even made a profession of faith during her elementary school years. But by the time she entered high school and eventually went off to college, Janelle began to meet other people who held other views, people who made fun of her Christian beliefs. Because friendships were hard for Janelle and because she craved them so desperately, uh, she left the church in order to fit in with those around her. And when hardship struck her unexpectedly and essentially devastated her plans and the goals she had set for herself, she abruptly and decidedly walked away from her childhood faith entirely. And then there's the story of Daryl. Daryl was also a church-going guy when I met him. He was a husband, and he and, his, uh, he and his wife had a child. He was a husband and a father. Uh, and he, as I got to know him, he took 
those roles seriously. He, I, I sense that he genuinely wanted to succeed in, in both of those roles, as well as he seemed equally sincere in wanting to uh, grow in the Lord. Daryl and I uh, sometimes met for lunch or coffee. Sometimes we played pickup basketball. Uh, sometimes we read the Bible together and even prayed for each other. But Daryl's Achilles heel was his almost insatiable appetite for approval. He loved the praise of people. He just loved the praise of people. He spent endless hours and gobs of money in the effort to keep up appearances. He was consumed with his physique. He was consumed by his stuff, his material belongings, his clothing, his cars, his home, for example. He was consumed by his pursuit of acceptance in the world's eyes, and this endless search eventually got the best of Daryl. Though he still attends church on occasion, I think, I think he does, there is, there's really no real evidence of a desire for God in his life. And finally, I want to tell you about Allison. Allison lived a hard life. She grew up in a single-parent home, and unfortunately, the parent who remained in the home was not much of a role model. And although she knew some Christians, Allison was not a religious person in any way, shape, or form. Her priority was survival and self-preservation and getting as much pleasure out of life as possible, however illicit or momentary it may have been. She was in and out of trouble, in and out of jail, in and out of relationships of all kinds. Simply put, she was a mess, and her life spiraled out of control at breakneck speed. And then the miracle, then came the miracle so many had been praying for. Allison met Jesus, and she met Jesus in a way that completely deconstructed all the walls she had built as a defense against Christianity. She began to experience God's love through the way that others would love her. She began to read the Bible and learn of God and of God's heart for her. And, and of God's heart for the world. And she actually began to teach the Bible to others around her and share her newfound faith in Jesus with them. She wanted them to, uh, to understand God as she did. And many of them came to entrust their lives to Jesus just like her. Had you seen Allison many years ago, you never would have imagined who she is today. A vibrant, winsome, beautiful, devoted follower of Jesus whose life is bearing tremendous fruit. 
And I share the stories of these people because these four people and others like them, people like them, are described in a parable I want to consider with you this morning. It's known as the parable of the sower, and it's the first of seven parables recorded in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus uses to describe the kingdom of heaven. Today, we begin a five-week summer series on these seven parables that aim to teach us something about life in the kingdom of God. Here in this chapter, over the next five weeks, uh, from these parables, we'll learn about the message of the kingdom, the conflict of the kingdom, the surprise of the kingdom, the worth of the kingdom, and finally, the consummation of the kingdom. And when the Bible refers to the kingdom... It's referring not as much about a place, but it is as it is about the rule of God in our lives, about God's kingly rule in our lives. Jesus begins with the parable of the sower because God's heavenly kingdom realized on earth, hear this, begins in the human heart. I'll say that again. God's heavenly kingdom realized on earth begins not out there somewhere, not in a specific country somewhere, not in a town somewhere, not in a, an individual church somewhere. The kingdom of God is realized, it begins in the human heart. In fact, the kingdom of God begins in you as the seed of God's word takes root within the soil of your heart. So today I want to consider with you this parable, specifically the sower and then the seed and then the soil of the heart. But first, let's read it together. Matthew chapter 13, I'll read verses 1 through 9. And then I'll skip down to verse 18 and read through verse 23. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then at verse 18, Jesus explains the parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So reads the word of God. Shall we pray? Father, we want to thank you again for our time this morning in your word. And uh, even as Jesus, even as you have invited us to have ears to hear, would you give us such ears this morning that we would uh, discern your voice among the many and that the seed of your word would find its home in our heart. And to this end, we pray in your name. Amen. Still early in his public ministry, Jesus is in the region of Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Great crowds have gathered, pressing in around him on the shores of the Galilean Sea, And so sitting in a boat with the people listening intently from the beach, Jesus begins to teach in parables. And parables, it seems, were his preferred teaching tool. Uh, Jesus' parables comprised nearly 35% of his teaching as it's recorded in the New Testament. So the parables... Uh, were essential. In in fact, I would say that if we want to understand the heart of Jesus, we would really do well to understand what he's getting at in these parables. Jesus frequently used parables specifically to convey something of the truth of the kingdom of God, likening God's kingdom to more familiar surroundings. And in an agrarian society like theirs at that time, nothing was more familiar than the simple act of sowing seed. A sower went out to sow, Jesus began in verse 3. And what's quickly revealed about the sower is that he sowed deliberately, he sowed indiscriminately, and he sowed by faith in the Lord. The sower in this parable is deliberate in sowing seed. He is intentional. He is purposeful. He is determined. Even expecting to encounter obstacles along the way, like hard pan and, and birds and rocks and thorns. But you see, sowers sow. That's what they do. That's what they're called to do. So this sower sowed deliberately, and he sowed generously as well, or indiscriminately, casting seed everywhere 
seemingly unconcerned with where it fell. Wherever he went, as he went, he scattered the seed in various places. He's not, I just want you to see, he's not overanalyzing the landscape, but he's tossing seed left and right and forward and backward, knowing full well that some will fall upon, that it will just fall upon all types of soil. His job in that moment is not to inspect the condition of the soil. It's to get the seed out there and let the seed do its work. And thus, not only did the sower sow deliberately and indiscriminately, but he's also sowed by faith. He's, he's, he's sowing, he's placing his trust in the seed and ultimately in God who created the seed and causes the seed to grow. Now, all of this is good for us to remember as we interact with people while seeking to win them to Christ. As sowers of the gospel, our divinely appointed job is to deliberately scatter seed, which is the message of Jesus. Listen, it's not ours to determine whether or not a person is ready to hear the message. Ever done that? Ever shied away from sharing uh, Jesus because you concluded that the person wasn't ready? I have. As if somehow I could see the ins and outs of their heart. But here in this parable, Jesus is, is saying, don't do that. Jesus is saying that our job is to sow the seed, not to inspect the soil. Our job is to get the message of Jesus out there, knowing full well that it will sometimes fall upon deaf ears. Our job is to trust in the power of the gospel itself and in God who knows the human heart, who knows the ins and outs, who knows everything that's going on with that individual and can cause even the deafest of ears to hear. Our job is to sow, then to step back and allow the gospel to work upon a person's heart in ways that are beyond our ability to control. And so I ask you, dear people of East, East Parkway, are you sowing the seed of the gospel these days? Like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, let us be unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power is not in the sower, the power is not in the soil, the power is in the seed. And I titled this sermon as I did because when Jesus explains this parable in verses 18 and following, 
he refers to the seed as the word or message of the kingdom. We're told in Hebrews 4 that God's word is living and active, meaning that the the word of the kingdom, the message of the good news of Jesus Christ has life in it. All that is necessary for life is contained in that single seed. If you've ever planted a seed, sometimes we've done this with our children. If you ever planted a seed and watched it grow over time, you know what a single seed can do. A single seed can bring forth a a tremendous plant or flower or bush or tree. The Apostle Peter writes that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You see, the seed represents the gospel. And in its simplest form, the gospel represents life with God, a life that's been restored to God and renewed by God. Jesus is at the heart of the gospel because he is the one who gives us this life. He gave his life for us. And He took it up again so that now our lives are hidden in His. When a person places trust in Jesus, you who are dead in your trespasses are are made alive together with Him. The transformation that takes place in your life is so real and so significant that it's described as if you've been born again. In fact, the gospel proudly declares that if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The seed, therefore, represents endless potential and possibility. It represents opportunity. Listen, you're here today, and the seed of the gospel, the message of the kingdom of heaven, is falling upon the soil of your hearts even right now. And when this day has passed, what will we have done with the opportunity God is giving us in this moment? The sowing is essential for how are they to hear unless without someone preaching. The seed is essential because it contains the truth of God and the, and the, and the potential for new life. But this potential is unlocked and realized only as the human heart responds favorably. And so here in this parable, Jesus describes four kinds of hearts. The hard heart, the shallow heart, the strangled heart, and the receptive heart. As we walk through them, just with as much honesty and integrity as you can muster, ask yourself, which of these am I? First, the hard heart. As the sower sowed, verse 4, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. A well-worn path, you've known this if you've walked any trails, 
I'm not talking about a paved path. I'm talking about just a well-worn path. A well-worn path leaves the ground hard and compressed. Over time, the many passers-by who use that path compact the soil and seed that falls upon such soil cannot penetrate the hardened earth below. And Jesus likens the first soil to the one who hears the word but pays it no mind. Like the well-traveled path, their hearts are hard and therefore the message of the kingdom is lost on them. When I was a youth pastor, uh, students would come on occasion to various events or even to our weekly Bible studies um, at the invitation of their friends in the youth group, but they, the students who were coming, but they were, were not at all interested in youth groups. So, so students in the youth group would invite their friends, but it quickly became apparent that some of their friends were not at all interested. They weren't interested in youth group or church or God or anything related to God. This week, as I just reflected on those moments, I distinctly remember one girl in particular who, I kid you not, who would literally pretend to sleep through my lessons in such a demonstrative way, casting herself on the chair. And if that didn't work, she would, she would attempt to talk over me uh, in the attempt to avoid listening. And I can just say to you that she didn't last long. <laughs> like my neighbor in the first story, uh, she was hard of heart. Now listen, though present physically, she was completely absent in terms of her attention and receptivity. Now many years have passed, and though that girl is now an adult woman in her 30s, there are countless Hear this, church. There are countless people of all ages, young and old and everything in between, who fit that description. People with no real interest. People with short attention. People who may even come to church but sleep through it week after week after week. They're totally oblivious to what's going on spiritually. Totally unaware of the preciousness of the moment. Seed is falling. Missing the opportunity to respond to God personally before the evil one comes and snatches away that seed that's being sown in their hearts. So this is not a young person issue. This is a people issue. And from the hard heart, we move to the shallow heart. At first, things appear more promising with this second soil. Though the seed falls upon rocky ground, uh, it at least finds enough soil to sprout a little. But the presence of underlying bedrock deters the growth, and once the sun hits the once promising shoot, it's just scorched and soon withers. And Jesus says 
that this is like the one, the person who hears the message and immediately receives it with joy, but because there is no depth of meaning behind their response, their supposed faith quickly falters just as soon as trial or tribulation comes their way. This is the person who gets caught up in the excitement of the moment and jumps in with both feet, but rarely understands what they're doing or what they're responding to, or better yet, who they're responding to. They're just swept up in the emotion, the excitement of the moment. Their response is experience-driven and therefore experience-dependent. Do you know people like this? Like kids who receive Jesus who, quote, received Jesus into their hearts at summer camp, but whose hearts remain far from Jesus when away from camp. Though such a person may receive the word initially, even with joy, their lack of understanding, or their depth of soil in this case, renders them unable to endure hardship when it comes, unable to remain faithful once the excitement of the moment passes. The third soil deals not as much with rocks as with thorns and thistles. The depth of soil isn't the issue. The issue here is competing cares and worldly pursuits that choke the life out of life. As for what was sown among thorns, Jesus teaches in verse 22, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Remember my story of Daryl. Because Daryl was so consumed by the cares of the world and by the deceitfulness of worldly riches, his experience of the kingdom of God was next to nil. This person responds to the message of Jesus with sincerity. This person appreciates Jesus, acknowledges even what Jesus has done. This person may even express love for Jesus, but their love for something else in addition to Jesus, overtakes them. Listen, this is the Jesus plus person. This is the, the person who wants Jesus plus all that the world offers as well. When observing this person, it seems he always talks big, but goes nowhere in his relationship with Jesus. Always revving his engine while his wheels spin helplessly in the mud. And the saddest part of all is that he rarely even notices what's going on. So distracted is he or her by lesser things, he rarely even notices the thorns growing up around him. 
worldly pursuits rarely choke a person all at once. Instead, it tends to be an unnoticeable yet steady process that slowly strangles the budding of spiritual life within. C.S. Lewis said, The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. The elusive quest for earthly gain costs a person the kingdom of heaven. And so we come to the fourth soil. The only soil in which the seed had its full and intended effect. As for what was sown on good soil, verse 23, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Here is described the person who hears the message of the kingdom, who understands the message, and who knows that this message applies to him or to her personally. And so, therefore, this person receives the message and thus places trust in Jesus. This person is not hard of heart like the person in soil two or soil one. This person isn't looking for a momentary experience like the person in soil two. And neither does this person succumb to the lures of worldly pleasure like the person in soil three. In fact, this person endures the same hardships and faces the same temptations as those characterized in the other soils But the person of soil four has come to understand something the others do not. This person is the one who hears the gospel, responds favorably to the gospel, and thus enjoys the fullness of whoa. Thus enjoys the fullness of life as promised by the gospel. You see, the same seed fell upon each of the four soils. The same seed. But only the fourth proved fruitful. (coughs) The amount of fruit, whether 30 or 60 or 100 fold, isn't the point. The point is, which soil are you? You see, that's the implicit question Jesus is asking in this parable. This parable is a mirror of sorts that reflects the condition of our own hearts, particularly 
in how we respond to Jesus. So when he says, he who has ears, let him hear, he's essentially calling for response. It's, it's basically saying, are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, we cannot change the heart. Not even our own. Only God can do that. But we can choose to place ourselves under God's authority, under His kingly rule and reign, uh, thereby allowing Him to transform our hearts from within. If your heart is hard today, God can soften the soil. If your heart is shallow today, God can clear the rocks. If your heart is being strangled by worldly pursuits today, God can uproot those thorns. In fact, I want you to hear this promise God made through the prophet Ezekiel, where he says in Ezekiel chapter 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I'll do this, God says. I'll cleanse you from all your impurities. I'll cleanse you from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you, and I will move you from within by the Holy Spirit. I will move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. I will do this for you, God says. I'll do this for you. You see, the changing, uh, changing the heart is God's doing, but the question is, are you receptive and open to such change? Are you receptive to Jesus? Now listen, this, whether this is the first time you're hearing this or the umpteenth time, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that every single time, every time the seed of God's kingdom falls upon the soil of your heart, there is opportunity for you to respond. There is opportunity for new life and, and newness of life and endless possibility. And so... Really, are you open to the kingdom of heaven? Are you? And if you are, tell God as much. Today, God, I want a new heart. God, I need to be cleansed. God, take these rocks away. Pull these, we remove these thorns, these impurities, these idols. God, I want a heart for you. 
Tell them your desire to have a heart like soil number four. And just see what He will do. Receive this gift. This gift of Jesus. And just watch Jesus transform your life. Amen. So even now in the quietness of the moment, I just want to I want to give you some space. Just a quiet moment to talk to God. If you've been convicted this morning of transgression or sin or an apathetic heart or a hard heart or a shallow heart or a strangled heart, would you just admit that to God? And then if you're sitting here today and you want you want to be like the person described in soil 4, if you want a heart that's just receptive and open to whatever God would have for you so that the kingdom of heaven would 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 begin in your life would you tell him that as well and let him lead you this week in the ways of his kingdom let him transform your heart let him remove those rocks and thorns Our great and loving God, we thank you for the time this morning. Thank you for the work you're doing even now in each of our hearts. Would you find us, would you make us faithful and fruitful to the glory of your name. Amen.